The podcast is also sponsored by my good friend Tiger at It's Tiger Music on Instagram at itztiger.music. You can find all his work on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. He does all the music and tracks for the Block Hash podcast. Go check him out. Also, don't forget to check out Blockhash Plus on Patreon. This is something that's new, where you can learn more about trading, technical analysis, and charting, all for the price of two cups of coffee a month. That's pretty damn cheap. Sign up at patreon.com slash Blockhash. And last but definitely not least, Blockhash is offering consulting for all your blockchain needs. Buying, exchanging, selling, safe storage, tokenization, NFT creation, point of sale, you name it. We can help you. Go to blockhashpodcast.com slash consulting and let's talk. Hey guys, it is Wednesday, March 31st, episode 121. And today I have Justin Rice, head of ecosystem for the Stellar Development Foundation. The Stellar Development Foundation is a nonprofit organization founded to support the development and growth of the open source Stellar Lumens network. Stellar Lumens itself is a blockchain designed to support digital representations of any currency and has its own native currency called Lumens. This is one of the oldest cryptos out there, like one of the OGs. So there's a lot to unpack in this episode. So with that said, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about the Stellar Development Foundation, Justin Rice himself, Stellar Lumens, and so much more regarding blockchain. Enjoy. Awesome. Justin, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Where are you based at? I'm based in Kingston, New York, which is 100 miles due north of New York City. It's like in the Hudson Valley mm-hmm. at the foot of the Catskill Mountains. Oh, is that like upstate New York? Or? Yeah, yeah, upstate. It's it's actually interesting. If you live in uh, where I live, there are people who say this is not upstate. The upstate's like Albany or the Adirondacks. Um, uh-huh. For people who live in New York City, when they say upstate New York, this is what they mean. Where's where that located in relation to like Wappinger Falls? I have at least one friend that lives kind of in that area. It is across the river and about 30 miles north. But I heard it's really nice up there. You guys get like good seasons and everything. Oh, yeah. Good I work. mean, we get seasons, many of which are good. It was a brutal winter and it can be, but it's kind of yeah. nice. Like if you like that kind of thing, you know, it, which I do. Um, yeah, you get a really good spring, summer and fall. And then you have a slightly brutal winter that makes you appreciate it all. Yeah, do you guys actually get where's what are you guys at with the lockdown there? Like, is it still restricted or is it a little bit more open upstate? Um, upstate and, and New York in general was fully locked down for three months about a year ago from March through June. And then in phases, there was places opened. And at the moment where I am, um, almost everything is fairly open. Uh, like, there's limited indoor dining and unlimited indoor seating at bars and stuff like that. And I personally feel mm-hmm. a little too freaked out to like be eating indoors. Um, but it's, it's fairly, you know, there's enough space up here where it's not like, uh, you're not like crammed on top of each other. So there's a lot of opportunity to just kind of like be outside and um, businesses in general are, are pretty much open. Okay. Well, that's good. I, I heard you guys got hit pretty hard through the pandemic. So That's hopefully true. everything's starting to open up at least a little bit more. 
Yeah, and they're getting people are getting vaccines up here too. It's like slowly trickling out. I mean, it feels like, you know, I, I don't want to say. Well, I'll just say light at the end of the tunnel. Why not? Um, feels like we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Or what it feels like is that it's all also coinciding with like spring happening. So there's some mm -hmm. hope. There's hope where before there was grimness. Gotcha. Well, you know, hopefully everything starts getting better soon. It's actually not too bad here. I'm I'm in Colombia. Mm -hmm. And everything has kind of just opened up. Everyone's at this point just said, fuck it. And it's, <laughs> you can pretty much do whatever you want. So I'm, I'm lucky in that sense, I guess. I know other places like the UK are like really, really strict still. Yeah. Yeah. We're somewhere in between. Yeah. Anyways, uh, tell me a little bit about your background and yourself. Um, cause my audience is probably going to wonder like, uh, who, who is this guy? <laughs> uh, what does he, what does he do with stellar? So tell me a little bit about yourself, um, how you came to work with the, the foundation and, um, what, what should people know about you? I am the head of ecosystem at the stellar development foundation. What that means is that mm -hmm. my team and I, we work with the companies and developers, um, building on stellar as well as with the vibrant community of stellar enthusiasts. And our goal is to try to make it so that anyone can sort of do anything that they want on the network. There's great resources, there's great education. We're helping people strategize and grow their businesses and really make optimal use of the Stellar network. So we're sort of out there dealing with the people who, who build on Stellar, the ecosystem, and helping mm -hmm. them thrive and grow. Because you know the Stellar Development Foundation is an organization, a nonprofit um, that supports in the growth of the actual stellar network but the network itself isn't something that we own right it's it's open source it's open participation so our goal is like really to basically be like sherpas for for this public network i got here in a weird roundabout way i mean before working here i i also worked i, I worked at a at a dating website um for uh, i don't know a, a lot of years um where I was also doing stuff that related to, you know, community. Um, before that, I, for a long time, had just like an, a lot of different jobs. I'd say that for about 10 to 15 years, I either was um, making music or working on music. I was, I was in a band, we toured, I produced records and worked on soundtracks, or I was working in film production where I kind of did a little bit of everything. So like weirdly, I started out freelancing, doing film, music, ended up working in the tech sector and then sort of discovered blockchain. It took a lot of what I learned about the building community and building stuff from the ground and being scrappy and like sort of brought it to a role where a nonprofit network helps, or a nonprofit organization helps a network uh, to sort of build effects and get people going and give them the resources they need to build. That sounds like you've done quite a lot of stuff. What got you interested in, in blockchain? Like why, why work in this industry? Is just the excitement behind it, the energy or? I was interested in blockchain for a long time before I started working at SDF. And it was, you know, like a lot of people, it was probably around 2015, 2016, when I first heard about it. I actually heard about it via Jed, who is the, the sort of founder and chief architect of Stellar. Um, mm -hmm. And he, he's someone that I've known for a while and he was super enthusiastic about it. And it seemed like such a crazy, weird idea. So I was always reading about it and just interested in it. Um, it did not at first occur to me that I could like work in blockchain. I, I know that it feels like there's so much that people can do to work in blockchain, whatever that means now. But at that mm -hmm. time when he was telling me about it, it just seemed like a far out idea that I got into and it sort of jived with the stuff that I was interested in. Right. Um, 
like I said, I was a musician and, and we would record our own records and book our own tours and be out there just like building stuff. Uh, and the, the way that we're, we're sort of blockchain is right now, it's at that stage, right? Anyone can come build on it. It's just about like digging in and understanding and figuring it out. And that sort of DIY um, scrappiness of early blockchain is what attracted me to it. What, what makes Jed so excited about Stellar? Like, is it just everything that it can do in terms of the, its utility or um, is it its future potential or partnerships or like, what, what, why is he so excited about it? I think that there are, I think there are two reasons. The first is that I think just that the idea of the technology is interesting to him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it's someone who sort of thinks about puzzles and tries to build solutions. The whole idea that you could, transform money using ingenuity was interesting and got him going. But I think the, the, the thing that sort of keeps him going and I, I'm sort of speaking for him. So I, I might sure. be wrong, right? <laughs> he might have a better answer, but for, from, from my interactions with him and from what I understand that the thing that keeps him going is actually the mission. So SDF, which is what I'll henceforth call the stellar development foundation. Um, SDF is, is driven by a mission which is to increase equitable access to the world's financial infrastructure. And I think the idea that, that you can take this ingenuity, apply it to, to actual money and to value and to find a way to help the world like actually um, achieve a, a better, like become a better place is, is what drives him. And I think most of us at SDF mm-hmm. to get up every day is what we're passionate about, you know, um, so it's those two things, like blockchain is interesting and Stellar is poised to actually make a difference in the real world. Yeah, wasn't he like formerly like at Ripple? Like he was in a co-founder or something? Yeah, he was the co-founder of Ripple. Yeah, yeah. I, I space all these details. There's so many projects in this space, you just can't keep up with everything. That is so true. There is so much. It's just like a fire hose, you know, and some of it's really mm-hmm. interesting and legit. And there's also just a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of posturing and vaporware out there too. And so... Being able to like just take in all that information and understand what's important and also just like keep the trivia in your mind, like who founded what, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's sort of trivial, but uh, it's, it's a difficult task. I don't think anyone's totally up to it. (laughs) It, Well, I guess us podcasters are up to it. That's our job. We're trying to make it easier for you guys. (laughs) Great. Good. Yeah, exactly. This is how, this is how you talk about it, figure it Mm -hmm. out. You ask the questions, people listen, they learn. Exactly. How does the foundation uh, support the network? Like what's the primary role you guys play in like doing that? Um, we steward the code base. So fundamentally, if you talk about the network, you know, it's it's uh, Stellar Core, which is the program that runs the Stellar Consensus Protocol and allows all the nodes on the network to interact, um, to communicate and to keep a common ledger and ratify and add transactions mm-hmm. to it. So Stellar Core is like sort of the core of the network. Um, we mm-hmm. maintain that code base as well as there's an API layer called Horizon um, that we maintain also. Um, and then also we have other projects that, that add tooling um, to make it easier to build on Stellar. So there's a, you know, there's this idea of something called an anchor in the Stellar vernacular, which are basically like regulated financial institutions that connect real world banking infrastructure to the network to serve as on-off ramps for value. So we also build things like a reference implementation of the servers necessary to do that called Polaris. So, you know, Stellar Core, uh, Horizon, and and Polaris are three examples of code um, that are open source code, right? So anyone can contribute to it, but we sort of 
steward it, shepherd it, maintain it, and help move the code along and make sure that it works. I'd say in addition to that, we support the ecosystem by providing educational materials and documentation, resources, and also grants um, to help them build on Stellar and optimize their use of Stellar. And then third, we serve as like a speaking partner to, to regulators um, and legislators as we sort of talk about the future of blockchain. Okay. Well, here, here's like an interesting question that's kind of been in the back of my mind for a while. What gives like the foundation or I guess a foundation for like any of these, you know, crypto projects out there, the ability to maintain and, you know, update the code base? Does it just like having enough nodes to do so um, or enough people involved to submit proposals? Like how does that process work? Maybe that's kind of technical, but. Sure. I mean, Stellar is open source. And what is an open source project? It's basically a code that anyone can audit or add mm-hmm. to, contribute to, or uh, install for free. Um, and the literal mechanics of that are we have a GitHub repos, right? So GitHub is a service that hosts open source code repositories. So if you go to the Stellar GitHub, you'll see the repositories. And essentially, anyone can comment on those repositories, ask questions, make proposals, or even file pull requests to to change the code. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. a a handful of people have um, the ability to merge pull requests to actually change the code. Um, And those people currently are, are, you know, work for the Stellar Development Foundation. Now, so like in terms of what gives us the ability to access the code, anyone can do it. The ability to merge it is something that was granted by the administrator of those GitHub repos. In terms of what the network actually runs, like we can propose this open source code and we can make changes to it. The network itself um, decides what version, for instance, of Stellar Core, which again is that fundamental underlying code, that's an implementation of the Stellar protocol. The network decides what version of that to run. And that happens because validators on the network basically vote. So the typical process is that we uh, there's an idea to sort of change or augment Stellar Core to add new features to Stellar Say. And that idea mm-hmm. sometimes comes from SDF, sometimes comes from someone in the ecosystem. It goes through a process where it gets you know, like proposed, discussed, and then a change gets accepted and it implements it in, into a code. And then that code will be bundled up into a major Stellar Core release that we will then put forth to the network for a vote. So we'll say, here's the new version of Stellar Core. Here's what it adds. Take a look. You know, a lot of the people who are running validators have been involved in the creation of that code or auditing of that code from the beginning. So they kind of know what it is that they're looking at. And then ultimately the validators on the network will vote on whether to accept that change or not. How smooth, I guess, is that process with Stellar versus like other projects out there? Cause I know others like take Ethereum, for example, it takes them forever to approve like anything and get anything done with with ethereum get any updates put out but um like with stellar is that you know a little bit more streamlined for you guys are you guys able to push things out in a more reasonable amount of time or what's it kind of like i think in general there are challenges to making changes at the core level at the protocol level of any network and that's because Mm -hmm. if you break something it has serious serious consequences right it not only not only can someone lose real value or you can introduce some bug or exploit but also generally a change has serious downstream effects, right? So you make a breaking change to code and everything that's built on that code also has to change to, to be prepared, right? So if we make a change to Stellar Core, 
the Stellar API has to change and all the Stellar SDKs have to change and all the products built on Stellar generally have to, at the very least, update their SDKs, sometimes make actual changes. So the process has to be slow because not only are you trying to make sure that the changes are really safe, but you also have to broadcast in big gestures um, and let people know that the changes are happening so they can prepare to make changes downstream. So I think any protocol runs into some, it, it, they're not super swift moving changes to the protocol. Um, I, I think with Stellar, we can move a little faster than certain other blockchains. Um, I would say, you know, last year, I think we released two, it's generally about three, three major protocol upgrades per year. So, you know, about once a quarter, a little less than once a quarter sometimes, but it depends on what change is being proposed and the actual complexity and then the impact that it has downstream. So I would say, you know, major stellar core uh, updates and network upgrades happen a few times a year. Yeah. Are there any updates that you guys are working on right now that are notable? Yeah. Um, the, the next major protocol upgrade, which will be to uh, protocol version 16 of Stellar Core v16.0.0, is probably going to be out in about a month. Um, mm-hmm. And when I say out, that means that we will release the production-ready version of, of the software, and then there'll be some time where it gets deployed to the Stellar test network, and then time for the sort of whole ecosystem to prepare and then say a month after that it will be voted on like the validators will vote whether to upgrade the public network so again that that release is coming out i believe sometime in april i mean give or take and Mm -hmm. uh the that introduces a new um feature to stellar called uh asset clawback which basically on stellar you can it stellar is set up so that anyone can issue an asset, right? Like assets are, are basically a primitive of, of the Stellar code. It's not a smart contracting, an account can issue an asset and just send that, make payments. You know, it's it's built into Stellar. Those assets can actually, the, the issuer can set certain flags, authorization flags. And right now there are two. Um, one is auth required, which basically says, I, the issuer of an asset, have to authorize an account before the account can hold the asset. There's also one called auth revocable, which says I can issue, uh, I can give permission for an account to hold an asset and I can also revoke it um, so that they can no longer transact in that asset. And we're adding this clawback feature, which is a, basically a clawbackable flag, auth clawbackable. Um, and it says I'm issuing an asset. It has this clawback feature enabled. That means that I can, and, and it, uh, an account can hold it, and at some point, I can also claw it back from that account, take it away from that account. And it's mm-hmm. necessary, you know, for a number of reasons. Basically, a lot of which have to do with issuing um, regulated assets on on the network. So this this off clawbackable feature, the claw the asset clawback, will make it so that um, people who want to issue regulated assets and have to re- comply with regulatory requirements can do that um, on Stellar quite easily. I do want to point out, like, because sometimes people hear that and they're like, oh, that's really freaky. Um, all of those flags are really obvious to a user, right? So an asset has that flag, it's quite visible. And a user has to basically agree. They have to say, okay, I'm going to hold this asset. I see the flag. I agree to hold it. I'm okay with that. And you can't just like apply that, the, these asset authorization flags to assets that users already hold. 
So this is a very specific kind of asset authorization that allows for a very specific kind of asset to be issued on the network that it wasn't so easy to issue before. Okay, so that allows for like, I guess, a recall of an asset if it doesn't fit like a certain regulatory scope, (laughs) if it gets like released and like there's an issue or something like that. Yeah, I I think sometimes when you're issuing, and and I think just looking into local regulations is probably a good idea if anyone wants to delve into this, but there are situations where regulators will say, you know, this, you have to be able to have this enabled, like you have to be able to claw Mm -hmm. back assets. And whether or not because and the reasons might be because of the local regulations about who can hold a certain kind of asset that may for instance change um uh it may be about assets that are distributed incorrectly to the wrong people to people who shouldn't be holding them um this feature also makes it possible uh to for people to reclaim assets if they've lost access to an account and so essentially my answer is certain in certain jurisdictions for certain kinds of assets, regulations will require this functionality in order to be compliant. Can you think of like an example of like a use case for that? I think this would apply to something like a Reg D asset, so something that requires you know, accredited, accredited investor to hold it. Um, so mm-hmm. there are certain kinds of funds that are that are securities and they're not publicly traded um, that you can tokenize, but you can't just mm-hmm. let any anyone hold them. When I think recall, I always think of like those salmonella uh, outbreaks and they do recalls on like eggs and food like that. (laughs) I'm wondering if you could like tokenize like eggs and then they could do like a recall on the tokens for the eggs because they're just, they're not, uh, they're not accurate validating that they don't have salmonella. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, why not? You know, at at the SDF, we usually talk about Stellar and and how useful it is for cross-border payments. Um, mm-hmm. And for connecting financial infrastructure, but in reality, you can issue any any kind of token on, on Stellar, right? Like you can issue an egg token. You, mm-hmm. could, you can use the off claw backable flag and, and deal with your salmonella, your tokenized sal- salmonella, in some weird way. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Have you guys seen interest um, outside of you know remittance? Because I know XLM is you know kind of focused on that, but like in terms of I guess other assets being built on the Stellar network. Are there other people kind of experimenting with, you know, different use cases outside of um, just, you know, sending value and remittance and things like that? Yes. Um, as I mentioned, you can tokenize anything on Stellar. And one mm-hmm. of the, I, w- I would say that one of the, one great example is a company called DStock. Um, they offer uh, stocks and they offer stocks that are tokenized on Stellar. So you can get Apple and Tesla and Google stocks, uh, tokenized versions of them. And they offer them, you know, their their product really um, gives access to those stocks to people in, in developing economy. How do I guess? Okay, in terms of building on Stellar and getting more people to want to build on Stellar and and launch assets and tokenize and do things like that, how does Stellar stack up versus um, other projects in the space? Um, well, Stellar has certain advantages, I would say, that that make it better for certain use cases. So again, Stellar is pretty finely tuned for payments and for exchange of value. And I would Mm -hmm. say, one, it's incredibly easy to issue an asset on Stellar and safe to do so. Like it doesn't require smart contracts or coding. There's not a lot of attack surfaces. It's it's a, you can in just a few lines of code issue an asset. Two, it's also easy because in addition to the network itself, there are these great ecosystem standards that make it easy to set up infrastructure to connect 
that asset basically to connect existing banking rails, for instance, to the Stellar network so that you can easily build an on-off ramp. You can accept user deposits, tokenize them, accept, you know, accept those tokens as withdrawals and give people money back. So those connections um, are fairly are well-defined and a lot of people sort of build them following standard protocols. And so it makes it easy to for anyone to connect to the network either by issuing an asset and, and building those connections. It also makes it easy for someone who's an app developer um, to build like a single client that can consume those, those APIs so that they can very easily in sort of one integration plug into all the different assets in Stellar. Um, three, Stellar is also has built into it a decentralized exchange, which means that you can put buy and sell offers out and they're aggregated in books and the protocol itself um, matches offers and executes trades when they cross. And so what that means is that you can, by plugging in, automatically not only create tokenized value or access all the different tokens, but you can really easily, at a protocol level, uh, exchange them, which makes it easy to transmute or convert currency. And then in addition, I think Stellar has is, is super cheap. Transactions are you know fractions of fractions of a cent. Um, it's super fast. It basically ledgers close every three to five seconds, so you don't have to wait a long time for blocks to confirm. And it also is environmentally friendly. It doesn't, it doesn't rely on proof of work. So it relies instead on a, on a protocol, the Stellar Consensus Protocol. And it's, it's sort of this federated series of, of voting between validators. And it just, because no one's trying to solve impossible problems, there's not this huge overhead uh, of electricity. And therefore, the environmental footprint is a lot smaller than proof of work systems. How fast are we talking? How fast? Three, uh, yeah. tra uh, like transactions, like every ledger closes in three to five seconds and transactions are final. So three mm -hmm. to five seconds. That sounds about right. I've, I've always kind of used Stellar to transfer things back and forth because it just gets there really quickly, like mm -hmm. really, really fast. I've had never really had, I don't think I've ever sent XLM somewhere and it arrived later than about five or six seconds. Like it's, it's pretty damn fast. Yeah, and that's been true even as like more and more transactions have been applied to the network. So the, this sort of scaling of, of transactions and the increased throughput of the network hasn't really affected network latency. It's just kind of clicking along like a metronome. Does that change um, if, um, if you have to scale up the network for, for use or does like scaling slow it down at all? I know that's an issue with other projects. Has Stellar, you know, kind of found a way to solve that issue or? Well... It's actually a difficult question to answer because mm -hmm. the answer isn't straightforward. It's more like a complicated graph with like a lot of different factors because sure. there are at least two different factors. One is um, essentially the number of transactions that are that are competing for ledger space. And the second is the topology of the network, basically how many validating nodes there are, how they're arranged, and how long it takes them to work together to build transaction sets. Um, generally, where we are right now, and where we will be for a really long time, Stellar has no no issues continuing to close ledgers at, at three to five seconds. I mean, activity on the network has increased a hundredfold over the past five years, and there's we're, we're not even close to to getting to a point where there's there's any recognizable or measurable or consistent like it's still consistent throughput and the the find out the time uh, the latency is still has still been consistent now. On Stellar, there is a ledger limit, like there's a limit to the number of, 
um, operations that can be applied to a given ledger. And that limit is also set by the validator. So just like they vote on what version of the protocol or the code to run, they also vote on where to set ledger limits. And their goal is to try to set those limits at a place where there's enough throughput so that everyone who wants to use the network can, and to balance that with making it so that anyone can run a stellar validator without requiring specialized hardware so the network is accessible to everyone in the world um, uh, to participate in. And, and right now the ledger limits are set at a thousand ops per ledger. Um, so I guess what, when I say there are those two factors, throughput and network topology, they could increase the ledger limits and the network could, the number of validators on the network could grow. And both of those things would start, would, could potentially affect latency. And that's true in any, any blockchain. But mm-hmm. as of right now, every, everything that we've ever done, we've managed to keep that, that steady three to five second transact, uh, ledger closed. Has it ever been an issue in the past or has it just never really gotten to that point? It's, I don't think it's been an issue in the past. I don't think it's gotten to a point where it is an issue. And I, I mean, again, I think that, that at some point you're talking about theoretical, mathematical and principles yeah. of computing. And, and there may be, like if you dig into the, the stellar white paper, I, there are sections that like have these complicated graphs that talk about ledger about this latency. But I, it's just like for the foreseeable future, I don't. I, I think that we could increase the number of transactions a lot without having without it impacting the amount of time it takes to close a ledger. Yeah. So like, let's say an institution or a large corporation, or I don't know, a government wanted to build some kind of application or do a a massive tokenization project with Stellar. um, And, you know, they're expecting tons and tons of transactions uh, more than normal that would be on the Stellar network. You think you'd be able to the network be able to handle that without too many issues right away? Or do you think it still needs to grow a bit more to like handle that type of volume that we'd be talking about? Well, I think right now it's handling the volume that is thrown at it without any issues. Um, Is there a theoretical, I'm sure that there is a theoretical limit to the number of transactions that seller like any network can handle. I I don't know exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. Like in your analogy, I guess it it would depend, or in your question, your uh, it, I guess it would depend on, on how exactly how, you know, if they were throwing 190 billion transactions, practically Stellar is, is, can handle a much higher capacity than it does right now. The theoretical mm-hmm. mathematical limits of it, again, I think are, are not, are not a simple answer. Um, I think right. you'd have to, I think you'd have to consult the, the white paper um, to actually look at the, at, at, at how that plays out at a certain, at a certain yeah. scale. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of theoretical, um, just because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You never know if you're going to see that kind of a spike in um, users and transactions and whatnot, and you never know like how things develop in the future. But yeah, this, I guess it's more of a theoretical question. Yeah. And I think like all other, like all other blockchains, there is a a moment where you have to start to think about building a a layer two solution if you want to really have throughput. You know, if, if you want to scale throughput to a certain point, just the nature of, of blockchain makes it so that it makes sense to start to build things like payment channels where someone who has like parties that are engaged in just a really high volume of transactions aren't just putting all those transactions immediately on the network. Because remember, like a decentralized network is maintained by these nodes 
the overhead for them is all of the data that they have to keep track of. So all those transactions that get pushed onto the network, they become a, a burden for, for, for people like validators. It's, it's more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is a logic to keeping certain transactions on chain and then sort of building solutions that allow channels between specific parties that can sort of uh, transact back and forth and then periodically settle on chain. And those like layer two solutions, I mean, if you look at the SDF roadmap for 2021, that, that's one of the things that we're, we are working on this year is like, how could we build out channels to really basically push the, the theoretical throughput or really like come up with systems that allow for super high throughput that makes sense for certain given um, applications. Yeah, that's kind of like the like Bitcoin with the the Lightning Network, right? Where they mm-hmm. create the off chain like payment channels, so that it doesn't all go into one block like at the same time, and yeah. it's like much much faster, more efficient that way. Exactly. So if I wanted to build something on Stellar, do what, what would in terms of like a, a language? What kind of language would I need to learn? Like with Ethereum, for example, you, you got to know Solidity. Do you have to know a specific language to to build on Stellar? Is there any um, hurdle to get over with that? No. Um, as I so Stellar, in addition to Stellar Core, I, I sort of touched on Horizon, which is the Stellar API, wow. and it's a REST API that almost all developers building on Stellar use to actually interact with the network, and you can use it to both submit transactions and to query network data. So if you want to find an accounts balance, you can query Horizon. Now, above that, there are also SDKs in various languages that people use to build on Stellar. Um, there is the, the, the three that the um, SDF maintains are JavaScript, Java, and Go. But then there are also um, community-maintained SDKs that are fully functional. Like they're really good. And there's you know Python, .NET, iOS. I think there are a few others that I can't... Um, Scala. Anyway, and we have, you know, if you go to developers.seller.org, you'll see a tab there with a list of all the SDKs. Each of those has its own documentation and its own examples. So basically, you can build on Stellar in pretty much any modern language. Is Horizon like a new thing? I think I saw like an update on that like kind of recently. Horizon, which uh, has been around since the inception of the network, the, the network was always designed to have to separate concerns and to have Stellar Core do the hard work of validating and Horizon handle, um, like sort of be a, a, an ergonomic developer-focused API that makes it easy to use the network. So it's been there since the beginning. But what you're talking about is true. Horizon 2.0 launched about a week and a half ago, and mm-hmm. it has just some massive improvements over earlier versions of Horizon, which basically make it a lot easier to set up your own. You remember, it's Stellar is decentralized. So when people really start using the network, a lot of the time, they, they spin up their own API instance. They spin up their own horizon. And these new improvements essentially make that process a lot, lot easier and faster and um, make it so that, you know, you don't have to worry as much. Like, it just reduces the complexity of Stellar operations. So, yeah, Horizon's been around since the beginning, but Horizon 2.0 is really kind of like a new era of, of user friendliness. Okay, I didn't know that. So, okay, it was kind of like an update to the existing uh, Horizon portion that exists before yeah yeah and if you dig into the weeds of it you'll see that like it thinks pretty differently it it runs stellar core as a sub process it has this whole new way of ingesting data um 
and it's just like much more nimble than than Horizon used to be. So you can run it with with less. You can scale it more easily. You can run it with less uh, intensive data data requirements. You can sort of tool it to meet your needs. It, it's just way cooler. It's a big advancement, but it does the same thing, right? Like it's got you know that you mm-hmm. can query the same endpoints and submit transactions in the same way. Yeah, sounds way cooler. I bet it works a lot better too. Um, one more one more question, then we can kind of start wrapping things up. How easy is it to migrate an existing um, project or something you build on blockchain from one protocol to Stellar? Like, for example, with Ethereum, there's a bunch of different projects being built on it that have started migrating to other blockchains because, you know, Ethereum's been slower, more expensive, you know, all these issues with it. Is there a process to do that if you wanted to migrate, let's say, from Ethereum to Stellar? Or do you have to build from scratch? Ooh, that's a really good question. I, you know, I think it it depends on the project. Um, mm-hmm. I know that's that's not a satisfying answer, but sure. Stellar is really tuned for transfer of value. It's really tuned for payments. And there's a lot that you can do, and for asset issuance. So if if your project built on Ethereum focuses on, focuses on those things. I feel like you can actually move to Stellar and reduce a lot of the complexity of your code. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are things that Ethereum does well and is really focused on that Stellar is does not serve as well. So I would say if you're if you're building a payment, something that is sort of payments or value transfer related, I, I think you'll have to rebuild your code. In the process, I think you'll actually be simplifying things a lot that's my answer (laughs) okay maybe that's a proposal you guys can put through at some point a migration process yeah that's a great idea and there are ways to do things like you know represent like represent ethereum assets on stellar so like Mm -hmm. like i said there are these you can issue an asset that represents anything and you can build basically what we call an anchor which is you know infrastructure uh, you know, an API that essentially, um, would, you know, takes assets on the Stellar network and either mints them or redeems them, and you can connect that to to Ethereum. Like, in fact, there are many Ethereum-based assets that exist on Stellar where they sort of, you know, the issuer on Stellar essentially swaps swaps and burns to move them from one blockchain mm-hmm. to another, and that is a pretty straightforward process. You know, so if you're just trying to like move assets from one to another, building that bridge is pretty easy. If you're trying to build a whole application, I'm sure it's a little more tricky. But you're right, we could we could make that easier. That's the kind of thing that SCF does, right? We sit down and we say, is this something people need? Can we help make it? You know, can someone else out there help us make it? Um, are there good solutions? Like we always mm-hmm. like to look around and, and see what's going on in, in the ecosystem in general and try to find places where we can just collaborate or run support and then if they're not there and there's a need sometimes we'll just work on it ourselves and ask for other people to help yeah you know i think that'd be a great thing for you guys to you know try to implement at some point i mean there's a lot of financial products on ethereum and DeFi has been really big too i'm sure there's some things that could translate pretty well if they could migrate over from ethereum to stellar so i don't know maybe that's something interesting for the pipe works in the future yeah i like it good suggestion mm-hmm. Anyways, how can people keep up with the Stellar Development Foundation? Is it they're just the website to go to, or do you guys have like a blog or social media, or where can people go to just kind of keep up to date? 
yeah, the, the best place to just go if you're just coming in cold is to go to stellar.org, which is the website mm -hmm. and explore around. Um, if you, you know, there's an ecosystem tab there um, where you can sort of find all the different channels where not only SDF sort of broadcasts, but also where the community is engaged. Um, you know, I would say stellar.org and our Twitter, um, which is, what is our Twitter handle? At stellar.org. Um, <laughs> are good places to hear from us and you know a lot of the stuff that we do we do always have blog posts and stuff like that no always you can always find them either of those places and then if you want to like join the discussion i would say um there's a, a channel called on discord a discord server mm -hmm. called stellar global which is super cool because sdf we don't even, we don't it's not ours we don't run it we didn't set it up it's created by the community but we're i'm, I'm always there um it's a good place to meet other people who are interested in Stellar and other Stellar devs and interact. And then we also have Keybase, um, the Stellar public Keybase team is similar. It's, um, you know, a, a place where there's all these different channels, some of which are general, some of which are developer specific, some of which are region specific. So I'd say Stellar.org and Twitter at Stellar.org and then uh, Keybase, Stellar public and Discord, Stellar Blue. Awesome. Well, Justin, thanks for coming on the podcast and taking time to talk about Stellar and XLM and the Stellar Development Foundation, what you guys are doing and all the developments and everything. Really excited for the, the network in the future and where it's going. And um, yeah, again, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. This was a pleasure. Let's do it again.